Love a rugby league same game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Podcast. This is Barnsey back after a hiatus last week. I've got the Super Coach episode for this week, and the Super Coach episode for this week is the yearly review episode. We're going to go through 2023 season of Super Coach, have a chat about it. To do that, I had to get Billy on board. Billy, you've been on half of the Super Coach podcast this year. So, of course, we've got to get you on for the annual Super Coach review to go through the season, mate. Welcome back. Thanks, mate. Although it feels like I took a hiatus those other those other weeks and didn't bother doing it. Well, thank God it's over. Oh, I'll tell you what, like it was a, it felt like a long year to me for Supercoach. I think partially because the buys every week really changed things. I found and just you know it was a it was a fairly different structure than what it has been before. I found it pretty draining and twenty seven rounds. Like normally it's sort of twenty five, twenty six. That that extra week type of thing that you're waiting. So I found it pretty draining and pretty long. I was sort of happy to get to the finish line. I was I was limping. I will tell you what. Yeah, same. I was limping for the second half of the year. In the first ten years I played this, finished in the top one percent every year. The last two or three years with you know, kids and work, it's now 3 4%. And dead set, you get big or head dead players every year. So, mate, next year when it's going to go something something different, we're going to stop selling, you know, Valentine Holmes when he's coming in the peak and just pick up those, you know, Dallin with Teddy's, Leather the Axe, and the, the Sean Johnsons, and just keep that spine intact all year because having little Tino's brother on a bench mm, and things well, like that. Well, we are going to have a big discussion clear. on the Super Coach here, but before we do, Bit of housekeeping, just a couple of little announcements to go through quickly. First off, I'm sorry I couldn't get on last week. As I mentioned, I was uh, I've been critically ill almost the last couple of weeks. It felt like I was never going to talk again. My voice was critically ill. Could, could not speak last week. I had a week without being able to speak. So uh, I apologise that we couldn't get on for the grand final week, but it was uh, certainly a big grand final week. Um, the other thing too is that it is the last Supercoach podcast of the year, but. I will be endeavouring to try and do the talk and footy one still going forward. I'm not sure if I'll get one banged out this week just because uh, after I talk for a while, my voice goes again. So if you hear me crackling a little bit on this podcast, I'm really sorry. I just wanted to make sure that we got it out there, um, but still struggling a little bit. And being the last Supercoach podcast, I did want to take the opportunity to thank all of the listeners because it has been a, a great year of Supercoach. I really do appreciate everybody that that tunes in and listens, it shares, it gives us feedback, that chats, it sends messages. I make sure I get back to everybody. So thank you very much for following and supporting the podcast. Uh, we did have some sad news too, Billy, which I, I kind of feel a bit sad about when I do the podcast now. Our theme song here on the Nero All-Stars podcast, All Star by Smash Mouth, the lead singer of Smash Mouth a few days ago, Steve Harwell, died. I don't know if you heard about that one, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he's passed away. So it makes me feel a bit funny about our theme song now. I'm just You've sorry never for heard of Smash Mouth. Oh my goodness! 
What about walking walking on the sun? Walking on the sun was a big nineties hit. Mate, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I've got to move along because I'll just go into a big diatribe because if I didn't do sports podcasting, I'd do music podcasting and, and talk about the, the 90s rock scene and everything else. But uh, Smash Mouth, very sad, Steve Harwell. Rest in peace. Um, we are going to continue on with the All-Stars song, but it does have a little bit of a, a smaller, sadder meaning now. Uh, Billy, let's talk about our teams first of all, and then we're going to go through a few things. I managed to finish uh, right around 5,000, almost on the dot, not quite. Uh, that was a disappointing season for me. I was hoping minimum for me is always to get to the top thousand. That's the minimum uh, and sort of normally stretch sort of, I want to be top 500, but as long as I'm top thousand, you know, the way it swings around about to super coach, I can kind of deal with it. 5,000 disappointing. It's been a couple of disappointing years in a row for me around the same, pretty much the same spot. Uh, how did you end up finishing up? Oh, I actually have absolutely no idea. I was around a 3,000 mark for about two or three rounds to go, and I just stopped looking. I think I scored 800 in the last couple of weeks. I had a quick glance at the end of the weekend to see how my captain went and realised I still, um, I didn't even realise that Manu was out. I had the C on him, so I got the, the BC score for it was. Yeah, I mean, uh, did <laughs> you end up getting through any uh, head-to-head grand finals or anything? Nah, nah, that's what I didn't even bother last week, mate. I was out of contention overall. I saw the, I saw the uh, team list and figure I went down to having, what, 12 players or something or other, and I was out of the head-to-head finals, so I didn't even watch Harder and Glee last week. I just had a bit of a break, played with the kids. and you know, Well, this might be a little bit point. of a cathartic experience for us both because we can go through the season and, and have a look about it and reminisce about the good and um, lament the bad, but bad decisions. Let's go through that first of all. Some, uh, some of the bad for each of our teams for this year. I'll go first because you sound a little bit downtrodden, mate, and you sort of gave up a week early and everything. So, you know, I'll, I'll kick us off and you can sort of stick the boot into me, make, maybe feel a bit better for yourself. I had the first one I got written, I had Payne Haas all off season. And I talked him up in the preseason too. I really liked his price point. I thought he was going to be the number one front rower. I, I just love starting with him. And I had him in my side from when the team picker came out all, all the way through until the final week before kickoff. And then I just decided to get a little bit fancy and I just I, I tried to have a punt at trying to make some money on mid-ranges and stuff and took Payne Haas out because he was the easiest guy to take out for me. And he, coming out of my side, and people might say, oh, you know, Payne Haas didn't have the greatest season. You know, it was a Payne Haas season, but that's not going to be a big difference. It is a big difference because my front row forward was dog shit all year. And, uh, and part of that was just because I just didn't start with Payne Haas. I would have been okay. And I just kept chasing on my front row forward, it was probably the only position of weakness for me. I think the rest of my squad, position-wise, I was fine. But front row forward right from the start ended up being a bit of a headache. So, you know, that was my first one, the, the front row forward and the, the damn pain harsh decision. I'm not going to make that one again next off-season. Yeah, I, um, I struggled with the forwards too. Um, two biggest mistakes I made in the forwards was um, I went early on Tuppany well knowing that um, Ricky only gives him a small amount earlier in the year and he just kept persisting with him. He just kept scoring around that sort of 50, 55 mark brief price tag. It just wasn't worth it. It was draining. Seeing everyone else have sort of um, Tino up front scoring 90 each week. So just keep going backwards around 35 points a week in that front row. And also halfway through the year ended up uh, doing um, what I promised I'd never do do again is uh, basically got a bench a bench board in just for just for a cameo, just so I could cash someone out and use the coin elsewhere. 
and ended up having Chino's little brother on the bench for the rest of the year. And when those buyers hit, ended up finding out that I had to play him from time to time or ended up copying his sort of AE. And those 20s and 25s were just demoralizing. So it just completely offset any value that any any value from um, the coin yeah, I made out. Yeah, it's, it's one of those out, things basically. as well where you, you kind of know as well, and we speak about it too, where you, you just really got to have those foundation pieces in your side, even from, from round one. And you always like to take a couple of risks here and there and like try and you need to cut down money and stuff and whatever. But the reality is you're better off just having those foundation pieces in each position from the start. Um, that was definitely the case at front row forward for me. Uh, other big one, early sells. I reckon that you've got a few of these, but I'm just going to go through a list that makes me ill. And I will say this was probably the biggest thing for me. The biggest thing for my season, not being better, was selling early. And this is something that I've preached on so many podcasts, Billy. You've said it so many times as well. A lot of guests on this have all said it as well. Wilfred's big on it. One of the biggest things is deciding when to sell a cow, uh, deciding if someone isn't a cow and you need to keep them. And inadvertently, as much as you can be aware of it, you're always going to still get some wrong. And for me, the ones that I got wrong, C and K, I actually didn't sell him as early as what other people did. Like I remember he got a um, head knock a couple of months in maybe or something like that, and people sold him there. It might have been six weeks in. And I held on to him through that, but I still sold him at sort of the midway mark. And he ended up being a season keeper, and that was a kill. Warbrick I sold, I think, two weeks before he got his 150 points with his four tries. Um, and Hopgood I sold because he just kept seeming like he was going to run out of opportunity. And, he, and me and you had a big lengthy discussion about this because we spoke about it on the podcast at the time. He'd, he'd thrown up a couple of 40s in a row. His minutes were down. And we were both like, okay, well, this is what – it's fine. Hopgood's done his job. He's been good. But this is what we kind of expected. You know, he's, he's probably going to have a 47 to 55-point range maybe even a 47 to 60 range, but that's not really worth holding on to. And then lo and behold, he, he just kept on going on. So as far as the cashing out of some of the cows, uh, those three absolutely killed me. And I think a lot of the sides that went well just held on to some of those cows, and particularly those three, C&K, Warbrick and Hopgood. Yeah, I agree with the Hopgood one. Although when we decided to um, sell him, though, he did plateau. He was only scoring fifties uh, and fifty-five, so about sort of three or four weeks. It wasn't until about a month later that all of a sudden started playing more minutes again, and then started punching out the seventy-fives at eighty. At 80. So it was a it was a right way to go about it. Um, but who could have foreseen that all of a sudden he goes back up to to big minutes when they when the eels went full strength again? Yeah, the the early early sell for me that was demoralising was um, Holmes. I started with him because he had just a soft as hell draw and just wasn't really producing. Like he was maybe averaging sort of 60 something or other, but it wasn't really worth the 700, 800 K, whatever he was. So I sold him just prior to our origin. And then all of a sudden, mate, he just went on that tear where he basically averaged between 90 and 100 all through origin and the, the back half of the year. So not having someone like him in the team when you've gone early, it's just kind of demoralizing because that's... <laughs> The price that he was at when I, when I got rid of him is the price that uh, you know a lot of people would have been happy to sort of pick him up, um, and that's that's a lot of the head to head players. So the CNN blokes like that. And the, and the other the other the other key one for me was not so much selling early, but having too many edges. I think my entire back row was basically, you know, um, apart from from Fafita, which was great, was um, Colin Matungi, Cartwright, um, the what's his name, the the left edge for um, 
the Warriors Ford. his name. Like blokes that sort of yeah, blokes that sort of yeah, and and Pre- Preston, blokes that sort of can all play a minutes or pretty much pretty much close to it, but have to pick, having to pick and choose the which one to play each week, play each week with demoralising because I always pick the wrong one. I picked the boat that scored thirty five and and went and went four to go over for a try and scored ninety like he's on my bench. It was just absolutely frustrating. Uh, not having the right bloke there, so I think next year it's going to go back to staple staple blokes that play the 60-65 votes and just just be happy with that, you know, getting the sixty points every week as a as yeah. Patience to is always the key, and, and something else that we preach. But even the best super coaches run impatient sometimes. Jermaine Hopgood ended up the third best second row forward that you could have on his averages of seventy three point three, and that was pretty far away from the fourth best yeah. too, by the way. And Tino's in the top three too, who you could classify as a front row forward. And then it's when you look at someone like CNK as well, he was right up there as one of the best um, center wings that you could have. You know, CNK, especially if you take out the guys that they didn't play many games. You know, you had Marzu up there, uh, a couple of other guys, but basically CNK was up there in the top sort of six or seven, so you would have kept him as one of your you run home guys too. Uh, I Holmes is a good one that you bring up as well. I I looked at sort of the cows to the mid ranges that we're, we're looking at making money out of, but the other early sells for me that I had listed down too is Garrick and, and Joey Manu. Uh, and then again, like those guys um, obviously went on and, and kept playing pretty well, particularly Manu. I really missed out on Manu and it, it was frustrating for me because I wanted to get my run home team and I need you need money to fund that. And, and this is a thing with the cells and stuff. I think in a vacuum, people will look at some of their cells or, or other people's cells or even look at mine and say, Barnsley, you're crazy for selling Joey Manu. But you get to a point where you've only got 25 spots in your side and you have to decide, like, what's my run home team? And you've got to make sacrifices because you can't have 30, 35 guys. You've got to cut some of these guys out. And Joey Manu has not scored very well at centre. Um, predominantly in his career, and he was going to be there. Now, Manu went on a run where from round 17 onwards, he was playing centre, and he scored 70-plus in every game except for one. And then he went back to fullback versus the Tigers and got injured in round 26. So, you know, Billy, that was a two-month run of 70s and 90s that he scored aside from one game, and that's just a killer and we talk about, you know, there's moves like that that you get lucky with and, and you do need to do it, right? You can't just stay on the same blokes all year. You've got to try and get off a run when someone's been going well, try and pick when they're going to drop and vice versa and get someone in that's actually going to pick it up. I thought Manu was going to drop. He didn't. And, and that one really burned me along with Garrick. So a couple there. Did you hold on to Manu all year? Yeah, figured he'd pick up at some point. I didn't think it'd go that well, but um, I was totally hoping for a little bit more when he went back to fullback, getting injured in a game like that. That was a little bit of a silver lining for me as a non-owner at least. Um, But other players as well, you know, there's always the misses. I'm sure sure you've got a couple of misses written down to talk about. For me, I I had two big ones. Um, I had Asako, who I cannot believe. Like, Could you imagine pre-season talking about Jermaine Asako as being someone that was season-defining? Like, people would think that you're crazy. Everyone would put the podcast yeah, in the bin. Right. No one would listen to it. He finished as the second best uh, centre wing that you could have behind Greg Marzu, and it was only less than, you know, it was about, what, 0. 0.6 in it per game between Jermaine Asako being the number one centre wing, and he just did it all year. Uh, and it just seemed crazy. 
Yeah, mate, I didn't have him in my team at all, not in any drafts at all to start of the year. But I think I can't remember when I got him in, but um, it was pretty early. Uh, I remember looking at their run, the fact that they had the that they they played the first and second bind, didn't they? Getting him in in, in early kicking goals was um, obviously one one to sort of target, but. Yeah, like he was just finding a line with ease almost every single game. So I ended up jumping on him pretty early, just leaving him in the team for the entire year. But that was um, one of the one of the ones I did get. I uh, I, I uh, did the did exactly the same thing as you and missed missed a couple of key ones. My 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 one was uh, C and K and the hammer. Like I remember thinking doing a preseason chat with you and saying these guys, particularly the hammer. I remember saying to you, this guy's got absolutely got no base and does absolutely zero work. He's going to have to score a try a game to be relevant and to score 55 points. How the hell is he going to do that in this team? And he did. And that was a frustrating thing. Like, how do you how do you pick the... So I think the moral of that story is for next year is, look, if there's a bloke that's only 300 to 350K playing fullback... Um, it's got the starting gig, and you know he's going to play there pretty much all year, and is available at seven three quarter. Just buy him. Just do the same as everyone else. Don't be smart. Yeah, I, I, was, I was pretty happy it. that at least Hammer worked out for me, and I sold him at right at the right time as well. Um, the only other one that I really thought hurt me during the season that I missed was Reese Walsh. Uh, I never got on Reese Walsh, and the first couple of months, especially Reese Walsh, absolutely killed it. And it was one of those things, Billy, where we kind of. A lot of us, including me and you, definitely thought that you can't waste fullback spots with all the other big fullback options. But then it cha- the season changed and all the fullbacks started to fall away. And it was a season where you could have someone like Walsh. And Walsh went from round three to round seven. He just punished everybody that didn't own him. He went 105, 95, 84, 99, 86, 101. Yeah, he was averaging close to 95 points a game across his first six. And that was just ridiculous and then you got a bit of a it alleviated a little bit for two weeks where you went 38 23 but then he throws up another 93 and then during origin you think that you might be safe and he throws up you know from round 15 onwards can i just say he only played seven games from round 15 but he scored tons in four of those seven games so even though you felt a bit of relief in the middle because he was missing a lot of games he still had 116 111 123 141 four out of his last seven on the run home as well. So, I mean, he, his season was just phenomenal. Um, I I really felt that him and Asako were the two that if I didn't miss out on them, I would have been a lot higher. Yeah, you know what's even worse than missing out on Walsh? Uh, selling drink water for Walsh, the game that he that he scored 42, then got suspended for three weeks, and then having uh, to buy I had a similar one with Teddy, yeah. <laughs> No, I can't remember who I sold, but it was someone like oh, that. There is something that's idiot. unlucky, right? And you, you can't put down, you can't confuse bad luck with bad decisions. And, you know, some of that stuff like what you've just said, that's just bad luck. You don't know yeah. that Walsh is going to uh, get hurt. Um, I traded Teddy out and then I traded him back in because I got worried. And when I traded him back in, it was the game that he got his concussion and scored like 18 points or something and, and then was out um, a couple of months into the season. Um, same with Turbo. You know, I traded Turbo in and I got one game out of him, I think, and then he got injured. So, you know, you can't do anything about bad luck, but there was some of that as well. Um, dud, dud gun buys. I reckon that you had a few dud gun buys as well that didn't quite fire like the guns that they were supposed to. Yeah, just trying to think who, the, who they were. Like, um, 
I bought Tino at one point and he didn't he, he did nothing for me and then sort of went up but that was just sort of bad bad sort of timing with Tino, so probably can't really go there. I didn't really have any guns that kind of did that didn't really sort of fire. They they were all all the guns that I bought kind of did their job. Actually no, I do have Oh like he's on my list too. I was waiting for you to get there. Go, go for it, mate. Just unleash. Unleash feel better. Oh mate. The the, the rabbits. Um uh, Latrell and Cody. Uh, I, I don't think I started with Latrell, but I did get him at one point, and then he just sort of died, just did, just did nothing. So Cody and Latrell, I don't know what it is with Walker, but every single time I get him, he does absolutely nothing. And then as soon as I don't have him, I think that's the one game he scores 150 or 180, and everyone, and everyone jumps up and down going, yeah, I got the C on Cody. And... Uh, four try assists to Alex Johnson on the left hand side. And if you don't own Cody Walker and AJ, go on and you know, delete the app. <laughs> and I did feel like doing it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, from round. He wants uh, to be with those guys. Not, those well, guys. from round 17 onwards, um, Cody Walker didn't even average 60 points. He was. He, yeah, he, he was just below he was 60. Horrible. He was he about 59 points a game from round 17 onwards. And it was one of those ones, too, where we had the big buy in round 19. And I, I ended up buying him in round seventeen, and it was because I thought, look, I'm just going to pay up for him. Um, oh, sorry, no, it was the Warriors game. It was round eighteen, and I thought I'm just going to pay up for him. Uh, he's going to have the the round nineteen buy. I, you know, I never thought he's going to play Origin, and he just had gone through the year just absolutely killing it at that point. Like at that point of the season, when you're having a look at his splits on what his scoring was. He was averaging 76 points a game up until round 17, and he was doing it easily. So, yeah, for him to then go, he went 79 in round 18, got picked for origin, so he missed two weeks because he had a bye, and then he's gone 55, 58, 49, 81, 41, and 45, and he cost $750,000. And he's, he's busted 60-plus out for me yeah. once other than the week that I bought him in round 18. You know, it's it's just a bad one. And unfortunately, you know, Cody Walker's yep. done this a lot where he's one of those guys where he can go on these runs and it just seems like it's always going to keep going. And if you just don't buy him, you're just going to miss out. And, I was, you know, it's same as Reese Walsh, except he didn't fall off. But Cody falls off and I, I knew it and, you know, I still did it. Uh, a couple of other guys that happened with as well. I tell you what, Mulatalo, uh, he was really popular by because he covered the buys and everything else. And he had one, he only had one game yeah. really where he didn't go 60 plus all year. And it was round one um, up until the midway point. Like we got to that round 13 by and he'd only had one game up until round 13 where he didn't go 60 plus. And then he's backed it up with the most awful finish to the season that you'll see between round 19 and 26. Mulatalo averaged 46 points per game. And that included a nine-point game in 80 minutes, a 24-point game in 80 minutes as well. So there was this, there was a few of these guns that you sort of bought because they ticked all the boxes. They had a really good resume for the year, and they just ended up being duds and, and didn't do anything. And some of that's bad luck because I think that, you know, with you, when you bought Cody Walker, when I bought Cody Walker, or when you're buying someone like Militalo at the time, or even when you bring in someone like Munster, who I thought was a bit of a dud as well when I bought him, uh, all those guys on the surface, look like good buys, but it's probably another lesson where you can say, look, just because guys are, are guns or going great for a while, it doesn't mean that they're going to be 100% a buy and go great for you as well. You really have to look at your options and your team builds. 
Cody Walker is a classic example of why sort of head to head can sort of come out on top sometimes because most of the time you're only going to buy Cody Walker if you're playing overall because you're looking for that buy sort of coverage. He, he's a half decent bloke that can sort of go big, so you get him, him in for that, that BC potential as well. If you're a head to head player, you don't need to sell Munster or whoever, whoever you've got there, so you can just hold blokes like that. And for, he, for Cody Walker to go on that kind of average. And the head-to-head players to come back uh, post-origin and have, have months to still punch out bigger scores and save two trades from in and out. That's wasted plenty. trades. I had some paddock trades. I had plenty of wasted yep. trades. Traded Teddy in like three different times. Um, traded paddock trade of <laughs> my Penasini one. I mentioned to people where I was in the I was in the buy round and just to get to that number, you know, thirteen. Um, runners for that buy round. I just got Penasini in and he got 30 points or whatever and he was shit for the rest of the year. There's there's plenty of wasted trades that I yeah. think everybody has when you go through it. And there's plenty of ways that you can save trades. And probably one of the biggest things that I already knew this, but one of my learnings from this year when I looked at it that I didn't really realise in my head at the time going through the season was that there was a few trades that I made that I just I didn't need to. And on paper they maybe looked good, like even like I had a um a Munster trade where I got Munster in. Uh, and I had some other trades where I got some guns in, even a Cook to Grant trade that I did mid-season. You know, I went Cook to Grant. I just didn't need to do it because when you looked at it, Billy, and when the season's all done and dusted, those sort of trades, a lot of them either gave me no extra points or lost me points, and you end up wasting a trade. And I think that everybody going into that last month of footy really could have used a few extra trades. So, again, you know, we preach this every year, but... You've really got to conserve your trades, and especially when you're going gun to gun sometimes, it's not always worthwhile, or even some of the upgrades that you think are upgrades might not even be an upgrade. It might only be two points a game better, and then you've wasted a trade. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing for next year is the key positions. So you look at a, a look at a hooker, for example. Um, I'm not sure what combination you went with to start the year, but Obviously, Grant is the premium hooker in the competition, right? And he's not always going to be there. He's going to have some sort of lower scoring games, but averaging out, take 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 the um the origin out of the equation, he's a guy that you would basically want to sit there all season. But because of the because of the um the the buys and as well as the origin games, you've got to have someone on the bench. So, what would you do next year? Would you get someone half decent that you can alternate with? with? With a grand knowing that, look, if you go down injured, you've actually got cover there because front row forwards and second row forwards, it's kind of easy to cover because you've got three three guys on the bench or two guys on the bench or jewels. Hooker, if if your if your primary one goes down, you're screwed. So you're either going to trade or trade out early. So I found myself in a situation a number of times where I've got like a, a thirty minute hooker or, or a backup yeah, hooker injured. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and no like one of the there. interesting things as well when you're talking about hooker and what you do, like if. If you have a look at some of the teams at the pointy end, and especially like in the top 10, there was teams that had Cody Nicarima as their backup hooker. And he actually went okay as a backup hooker. He averaged 58 a game. And he's final third of the season as well. If you're going to have him for the run home, he averaged 58 a game. Uh, the middle part of the season, he actually averaged 73 a game. So... Yeah, that's the frustrating thing. I bought him last year for that night knowing that he was kicking goals and went to fullback and he averaged like mm. 10 or something or other. All of a sudden he goes to a different team and, huh? Oh, yeah, it, it probably does it, throw out there once again the whole idea that you have to be really careful about being pigeonholed on having to get specific guns or name value and probably going a little bit wild sometimes and getting 
guys that you don't think are very good players or haven't been very good options before. And there was a lot of people in the top 100 that actually did that. There was probably a dozen people that had Cody Nicarima in their side as a backup hooker, and it worked to treat. Uh, it actually worked out quite well. And in the last round, he actually scored 103 points too, and everybody probably had to play him. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a tough one. Um, look, did you have any other bad ones that you want to talk about? I feel pretty deantron, and I think we should get a bit upbeat and talk about some good stuff. Did you have any other bad ones? No, oh, probably, but I don't want to go there, mate. Yeah, no, yeah, oh, no like most of mine were medi- mediocre ones. There was nothing really absolutely horrific, um, which is just a couple sort of like blokes like Carraz, I was really happy with and got in, and but, uh, Philip Sammy as well. They weren't horrible guys. They, they they came in, they did their job, they got big points, but they just didn't have the, the massive upside. So, it's, it's more, more so the uh, the, the war. So, the I mean, good decisions. Um, can I just bring up a debate that happened sort of late in the season? Because I take a bit of pleasure in this one because I was pretty staunch Heinz supporter. Heinz versus SJ. Um, a lot of people for that last. Uh, Heinz, Heinz struck 22 points against Penrith. Okay. And everybody, we know the story. There was a, you know, a lot of people on Supercoach Central on social media and stuff saying, forget Heinz, you know, get in SJ. I was pretty against it. Um, Round 22 was the time Penrith threw up 22 points and everyone was jumping off Hines. have to say, Hines then went on to average 97.5 points a game. I feel not vindicated, but I feel good that I kept him. After that round 22 against Penrith to average 97.5 points a game and SJ averaged 83 for the run home. So I feel pretty vindicated. That was a good decision. I didn't go with the crowd and, and get Hines out and get SJ in. And I felt pretty good about that one. Yeah, I did the same. I, I was, it wasn't I didn't have any faith in um, you know, Heinze. I kind of knew he would sort of keep punching the scores. Um, it was just more the the injury factor with SJ that kind of turned me off that trade. Um, not not going not going with him kind of hurt a bit with the the, the, the bias of the game, but it was probably more demoralising mm. not owning a bloke like sort of Tony Harris or. AFB up front, those guys just really... It was a very controversial one. Um, And look, three out of Hines' last four scores were tons as well. His last four games, 155, 108, 127. And that was a big one to finish on. What did he average for the year? What price price does that put him at to start next year? Well, he averaged 95. So last year he averaged 86 as a number one player. And this year he's actually averaged 95. So he's going to be even more expensive. And he started this year at 902,000. So I think that we're going to be looking at about 975. Yeah. yeah I, unless he gets a, a draw as soft as he did um, last year, I can't see him being a purchase next year. Like he'll, he'll be a staple in your team. But unless he's got a couple of games early, early where he can go to 150. Um, I'm not sure he'll be he'll be worth sort of showing out. I mean, Buster stuff. Ponger, on the other hand, well, Ooh. I mean, so Ponger was one of the other good decisions I made. I, I got him in early at like 500k, um, and he just yeah, he just so. killed it. So, I mean, you did the same thing. We talked about that a lot. Um, and I know that you were a big fan of Marju as well. So you had Marju in pretty early too, and he ended up being the best centre wing. I was filthy about that because I had him in. In to start the year, I mean, he was injured the first game or something rather. And yeah, had had to had to drop him and then get in, get in whenever else. Got in. So that yeah, was and it, it was that. one of those ones that really gifted owners like me and you though that his ownership didn't really go hugely high. Like even in like round twenty, 
Sutton, he was still only 16 to 18% owned. Um, people just were still staying off him to go on to other players in their centre wing, which I found quite surprising. Uh, so Marju didn't end up, you know, being as highly owned as what he should for a number one centre wing option. So that worked out quite well. Um, Forwards-wise, did you have any uh, big forward wins that you thought were great decisions that you were happy with? Uh, I was really happy with um, Tino when I got him, although it wasn't... I think he was well on everyone's radar by then, mate. So my my front row was basically... um, uh, uh, Haas early with um what's with uh what's his name um okay oh, Tarpany um it was more demoralising with the with the trades because I had um uh Christian Welsh last year and I, I swore I would never ever get him again he's just a dead set plotter and I really wanted oh, someone like Drinkwater I can't remember who who the hell it was and I had to do a dual trade up up front and he was the only bloke left that was actually in the the, the price bracket and with playable enough points that I could kind of use in, in the in the short term to get that Drinkwater player. So I ended, ended up doing it and he came out and busted 45 points and 45 points and 45 points and then got injured. And I thought, oh, fucking awesome. Just, just had to play him for a month. It was just absolutely frustrating. It reminded me why why there's certain players you just don't ever, ever want, to, want to get again. Well, she's definitely my black book for never again, that's for sure. Uh, I, I mentioned as well that my front row forward was stuffed from the start because of my my bad decision with Payne Haas and pulling me out at the last minute before round one. Uh, the only time that I approached starting to fix that was in the midpoint of the season where I actually got horse in, and he was one of my good decisions. I took a punt. I've always liked his game. I thought he'd continue to get good minutes, yeah. and and that worked at a treat. So uh, around round round I'm twelve, uh, sorry, before even before round twelve, um, when was it? Um, he was about 544,000 in round nine and he's coming off the bye in round eight then and Camper had a big run of games and it was just the perfect time. Uh, and he ended up covering that round 13 bye and he actually brought me back a little bit. He was uh, at the time about $200,000 cheaper than getting Peyton Haas in who I couldn't afford and he fixed up my front row forward. Mm-hmm. Through those middle rounds for 11 to 18, he averaged 70 points a game. So he got me right back in at the horse. So him and also starting with David Fafita from the outset were two of my good forward decisions. And there wasn't many, Billy. I'll tell you what, the packs were pretty weak for, for me and you, I think, this year. Yeah. And when you have so many mids up front as well, trying to find the right time to play them or pick them, sell them and trade them in, that's the hard thing because someone might pick, but, You've got to find someone that you can trade to when they're picking, and that, that person you want to trade to might not be at the optimum price. They might still be picking themselves, so or, or have a horrible run coming up. So it's really hard to find the right time to sell. To sell, you know, for the Preston, the Colmo Tungies, or even just get rid of the Colmo Tungies who aren't who are performing. So especially when you only have two trades a week. So I think next year one of the keys is just get a couple state couple staples in, and, but make sure they're kind of middle forwards if you can. Like possibly unvalued to Kieran Murray's who can come out and do their thing. Yeah, and I think we are going to get a few next year that we um, that we didn't have this year where we're going to have some guys that, that just didn't play this year. Like if yeah. Angus Crichton, for example, you know, he if he's starting again next year, he's going to be cheap as chips. There's a, yeah, few, there's a few of those sort of guys. Yeah. Who's um who's in that under under value bracket? Sorry. I mean, it, it's it's probably going to depend if we get some guys who obviously the guys that get get new roles and aren't on the bench anymore. But there wasn't really any starters aside from Angus Crichton that weren't 
getting good minutes um, or that weren't really injury affected or that were injury affected. I can't really think of any other ones aside from Angus, actually. I think Souths are going to offer a bit of value. Um, so Kieran Kolomitangi, for example, was averaging like 75 points for the first couple of months and he ended up finishing on a 61 average. So him, you know... It, yeah. Yeah, so all, all those Souths guys, you know, <laughs> I had Keon as well, same as you. You know, that uh, all the Souths guys fell off a cliff and they've got 50% of the season they were terrible for. So... There's probably going to be some value there. Um, and then when you're going down the list as well, there's a few other guys that's... I think the problem is that they're going to be too middling. Like, they're not going to be guys that are really huge guns. So someone like Liam Martin at the Panthers, he was playing... He played almost half his games off the bench from memory. He, he wasn't playing 80 minutes because he was injured and different things and then yeah. origin and injured again. He'll probably... He'll come in and play 80 minutes next year on a 58 price point because he averaged 58 this year. Uh, but he's probably still a 64 sort of guy. So I don't think you're going to get huge value with a lot yeah. of them. Um, Jeremiah Nanai is probably another yeah. one. He, he's similar to Martin where with his suspensions and injuries, he only averaged 57 for the year. So he's probably got eight points in him of value. Um, so there's a few a few of those representative guys in the back row that probably were a bit undervalued going into next year now because of how they performed. Yeah, sure. Lane might fit in that category players that sort of just did that before you. He's yeah. a good one. Yeah, Lane, is, you're going to be all over him as an Eels fan. I'll tell you what, he's a real good one, though. <laughs> I forgot about Short Lane. Oh, I don't know, mate. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see how the rotations go, mate. You've still got you've got players like um, Cardi who have absolute blinders towards the end of the year. So players that, you know, play out of their skin and end up end up getting off the bench and getting, getting starting gigs towards the end of the year. How do you all of a sudden go back to them and go, look, Maddo's back, Lane's back, you're playing out of your skin. Oh, we've got this bloke in the middle called Hopgood. So we just need to figure out how we're going to get, going to get four into three again. It's, it's a hard thing to do. Well, they've almost got to bite the bullet on on one of their other forwards. Um, and like I've said, I said it through the year actually, and on the Talk and Footy podcast, and Perso is really big on this as well. I'd be dropping Junior Barlow to the bench and saying you're a bench player now and starting someone else at front row. Like you could even start Hopgood as a front rower if you wanted to. And you know, have Barlow on the bench because you're the Eels bench forwards were terrible. Um, and I think that helps, but I also think at this point in the career, someone like Barlow's probably done as a starter, so they could do something funky like that, I guess. Well, he's not a massive minute, minute player, and he's that long elephant types the offloads kind of gone. <laughs> the only the only reason why I wouldn't like sort of, um, um, uh, not Brown, not could. <laughs> Yeah, Hopgood in, in in the in the in the prop jersey because although you say it's the same position, it's not really like he's yeah. he's, uh, he's he's more of a ball player and ball playing lock and offloading lock. He's he's not the guy that just bashes up the middle, hits hits and then goes to ground. Like he's not going to get as many opportunities to to you know turn and play that ball out of the back. I, I, I prefer him as a ball playing thirteen. Well, I'll throw out at you then because I thought you might have said that. Sean Lane started his career as a prop because he's six foot six and a big bloke. So, I mean, you could also just throw him in as a starting prop, and we could get Jewel in super coach too, and that would be really handy. He, he runs like a giraffe, but mate, not like a rhinoceros. Yeah, he, he, he does. He does have an edge running style. He's always been like that, even when he was a front row. But I mean, look, we, we digress. Let's talk about some other good decisions. Um, did you have any other good ones that, you, that stood out that made you happy about your season again? Ooh. I sure it is. Um, mate, I was really happy with Karaz early. I, I thought I was really smart there until he wasn't. 
<laughs> that was unlucky yeah. though. That's one of those luck ones where you you did really well with Caraz. It was just that he got hurt. Yeah, um, I jumped on Drinkwater pretty early um, when he went batshit. So I got him for around six hundred, I think, and then he ended up picking around a million. And then I'm not sure what happened in the end. I, I can't remember if I sold him and then bought him back, or whether I just kept him and he sort of tapered off towards the end. But he, he was um, he was a real good one. Kind of some big scores in there. Yeah, drink water was one of my b- biggest wins of the season. Um, I was really, really, really confident with drink water this year. And um, when oh, there was a two month period where basically I nailed my fullbacks in a very difficult time to nail them, and they were both pods. And drink water and Gutherson as a combo for about two months averaged over two hundred points between them. And that was just such a sensational run from drink water, but also Gutherson, and have them both at the same time when they were low ownership, like. Drinkwater was between three and eight percent ownership, I think, all year until the end. So yeah. those two, there was. I'm, I'm glad it came off because I've been a supporter of Gutherson runs and it worked, and I've been a big supporter of Drinkwater being an out and out guard and one of the best fullbacks. And I, I bit the bullet and went for it this year, and that really worked as well because he ended up being too expensive, Billy, to to not be a pod. Yeah. I never thought I would ever have a, combina- com- a combination of uh, Drinkwater and Gutho, but I did in the end. And that was only because sort of Turbo got injured and I ended up biting the bullet. But the yeah, um, mate Gutho really surprised me. Like, but I think my favourite game of the year for him was when he was playing injured at the end. He scored those what uh, three try assists and a couple of tries, and then sort of hobbled off the field at the sixty-five minute mark. He just absolutely played with the blue and gold in his sleeve that day. Yep, he was. He had a fantastic year um, in Supercoach and in real life as well. Until the Eels started to capitulate, but I, I wouldn't blame blame the King for that one. Let's talk about. Oh, mate, he can, he can get whatever haircut he wants, mate. I love it. <laughs> Look, we did need to take a break in between segments and talk about the great partner of the All Stars podcast that we've had all year in Picklebet. Picklebet.com. Go and have a look. Get on to them. They're a fantastic bookmaker where you can do sport, but you can also do racing. And believe it or not, they're also great in e gaming. They've got huge e gaming markets and they've been great with that. One of the good things I love about them, though, is that they've always got great offers. So when you're having a look this week at the offers, oh, finals are starting. You can go for their double chance first try scorer. So if the first try scorer doesn't come through for you, if they score second, they'll pay you out as a winner. Now, that is fantastic, and that's running for the finals this week. So go into the each game um, and have a look under promos, and you'll see that promo there, and you can throw that in, and any of the first two try scorers will pay out as the uh, it will pay you out for the top uh, first try scorer. So I've gotten on that one before. I love it. It'll be on there this weekend for footy finals. If you do create an account, make sure that you use the referral code, which is also called affiliate code when you sign up. That is all stars, all one word, all stars. Sign up with that. That way they'll know you're one of our listeners and take great care of you. But picklebet.com, go jump on, take a look today. Always think is this a bet that you really want to place for free and confidential support? You can call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Billy, the team of the year. We need to go through and have a look at what the best team ended up looking like at the end of the year. And starting off at hooker, Harry Grant was number one at 73 and a half points a game. I've got to say, though, like I actually didn't feel good about Harry Grant this year. I, I thought he was pretty up and down. And it's funny, he was the number one hooker and he's probably always going to be for the next three or four years. But 73.5 was a little bit below his best. When you're having a look at his stats from the prior years, I think we sort of expected a little bit more. Uh, He was 78 points a game in 2022. 
and 74 points a game in 2021. He hasn't scored this low since 2020. Um, still 70s, but he certainly had some peaks and troughs and was coming off the bench a little bit for that run home in the final third of the, of the season. So um, the number one hooker, but it was still not a slam dunk as far as his season goes. Yeah, he came out firing the start of the year. Um, started with him pretty happy. Daylight between him and everyone else. So, yeah, can have those games, those games where he kind of uh, goes missing or is not required as much, and then you come towards the origin gets rested. So, yeah, it's going to be a little bit hit and miss with him, but the, that average kind of really surprised me. Only three hookers scored sixty plus for the year: Harry Grant, Damian Cook, yeah. and Jeremy Marshall King. And Cook and King were between sixty-two and sixty-five a game. So I mean, yeah, Marshall. Marshall King was the disappointing one. I had him, and then the, that shoulder injury was just painful to watch. Because he'd go out and he'd, he'd bust it at 50 tackles in sort of 50 minutes, and then all of a sudden, next game, at the last minute, oh, he's not playing. Or go off with a shoulder injury in 25 minutes, and then uh, name next week, oh, no, he's not there. So that was that was a frustrating part, but yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned who did I start with at the beginning. We all forget very quickly that most of us had Brendan Smith. He ended up finishing on 46.2 points per game. Um, so he's someone who's going to be very cheap again. He's actually going to be cheaper to start with than what he was this year going into next. So if he actually has some fitness, <laughs> oh, <laughs> if, if he's <laughs> actually got some fitness and stuff as a second hooker, maybe. But hooker wasn't a great position once again, but we sort of knew that coming into the season. Front row forward, it did end up being a better position than what we thought in the preseason, Billy. There was some um, some new front row forward gun candidates that stepped up. But for the team of the year, number one was Big Tino. 77.5 points per game. Yeah. He was four points a game better than Peyton Haas. And, and I did not think that that would happen. Um, I thought Peyton Haas would be number one. But those are the two best guys. But the guys that were coming for them, for Newell Blake at 72.5 points a game, was very close. Um, so... He certainly had a good run. And if you cancel out his first part of the season, he, he was actually better than someone like Haas. Um, and, and Tino as well, you know, re- was relying on quite a few tries. It's going to be very interesting. Payne Haas and Tino both had great seasons at 73 and a half and 77 and a half points a game. But next year, we're going to have some options, Billy. You can go for a Fenua Blake instead. You can go for a horse instead. There's a few guys that are sort of stepping up at front row forward for Supercoach. I know what you're saying. But that, that's that's on paper. But if it comes down to it, if you had to choose one of those blokes to perform consistently each, so week in week out at that price, surely you're buying cast because he doesn't need to go over the line to average that. Yeah, it would be, um, and that's that's a scary thing with the decisions for next year because a lot of people will go for Tino because he was far and away the best one, but he scored a lot of points as well, uh, a lot of tries, I should say. Sorry, um, so I do like Haas, um, but he's going to be very expensive, Tino, to start with next year. Yeah, well, given that average, he'll be basically priced around around the half marks. So, so I think next year it's it's surely going to be you know um, pain to start the year and probably someone else, and then trying to get Tino in Tino in a little bit later. And this is absolutely no one else around, and you just need to not muck around, just get two two starting props and just pay the price. Mm, I mean, I will say in my horse defence because I do love the horse to finish up on front row forward. He's on a 62 average, but that's because he, the first part of what quarter of the year, he was off the bench and playing low minutes. So he's going to be in that consistent role of 70 plus minutes. And, you know, he might be a bit undervalued there too. Second row forward, David Fafita, far and away the best uh, forward out of any forward position, 81 and a half points a game. 
Uh, he, he was a no-brainer for me to start with, but I was still surprised at how consistent he was and how many hundreds he got, Billy, uh, especially in the middle part of the season. He was throwing out hundreds like it was just easy, and he wasn't needing to score tries to do it. So he ended up having four hundreds in a row between round nine and round 12. And then after around, after around 14, 16-point bludger, he had two tons in a row there. So he had six out of seven games in in a period in the middle where he had tons. Uh, really big season for him. Fizzled out a little bit on the back end, which you kind of expect for the Titans, but he's surely got to be your, your first pick second row forward next year with how he played this year. He might not have even need to score every, every week, but he still needed to punch those those attack ones out. Um, he still had some low-scoring ones to start with, um, but, typical, but typical too, after sort of 15, 20 minutes, he'd tackle bust, tackle bust, off, offload and line break assist. That's how it was coming. So not, nothing unusual, mate. As, as long as the team is sort of healthy, um, as, as long as he's healthy and healthy, and the team doesn't doesn't have a, a, an absolutely horrendous draw to start with, he's probably an, an easy pick. But particularly if you've got to pick, you know, one front row forward and run second row forward keeper just to just to um, build around, uh, keep the team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's the phrase you use. It's passing, passing, passing. Um, the feeder of the other ones. Interesting that the second and the third guys were Hopgood and, and Nicara. And I don't think anyone was going to think that Jermaine Hopgood or Britton Nicara were going to be you, you, two of your three best starting second rowers to the finish yeah. of the year. And they've had 73.5 points and 69.6 points for Nicara. Uh, that's that's interesting because I, I don't know if those guys will be there next year on those type of averages, but they make out the top three for, for this season. I can see Nicara not being there next year. I think he just had a really good run and I think everyone got on. Well, most people got on him um, that second by when he was expected to be the, or he was one of the premium sort of second row forwards available at the time and had a soft draw. So he was, he was a no brainer to pick up if, if possible. Um, mate, the eel, on the other hand, he's, he, he can quite possibly repeat next year doing exactly the same thing. I think Nicker has just got a bit more work to do. Yeah, he was relying on a bit of attack. Uh, as well, but the, yeah. the three guys that were sniffing on their heels were Isaiah Yo at sixty nine points a game, Ola Kawada at sixty eight and a half, who actually ended up having a big season despite some real low scoring at the he was start. Pretty quiet. Yeah, he was, and then he just he busted out. Quiet. It's almost like he had um, a, a reverse season for um, Kolomatangi. One of them started well and then played like a busted towards the end. The other one did did the reverse. Paddy Carrigan ended up finishing on um, as as uh, the third guy behind them on the bench as well. Sixty seven points a game. It's matched his career year of twenty twenty. Interesting to see what happens with him because his first, definitely the first sort of couple of months of the season, he was pretty ordinary, um, and then he got a lot better. So, big watch on those guys. I think second row forward could fluctuate a lot next year. Uh, I'll give a shout out though to Elisa Katoa, who ended up being a great buy to start with, and ended up being a keeper at sixty four points a game as well. He could go on with things next year again as well. Uh, halfback, Billy, normally we're coming into the season, we thought there was two guys, right? We thought there was Nico and Nathan. And then it was really pleasant that we had the choice where you could get Sean Johnson as well because it made the game a little bit different. And I really love that. Uh, but all of a sudden, there was also DCE in the mix, which you know, went a bit under the radar, but he killed it at the end, had 150-plus score to finish off the season and, and two great games to finish off the year, actually, for Super Coach. He was fourth. But I tell you, he was only one point a game worse than Sean Johnson in at three. 
So Nico Hines at 95 points a game was the best player in the game and was actually nine points better than what he was last season. Nathan Cleary at 89.4, had a career year, but was still second. Those were your two starting halves. And Sean Johnson was far far away from those guys. You know, Nathan Cleary is second at 89.4. Sean Johnson was at 77.7. But it's still great to see a Sean Johnson renaissance year where he goes back to form that you used to see from him five years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, I think in all those numbers that you just rattled out there, the, the concerning one is Cleary because he he looked really really quiet at times and he, he, even even um, the last couple the last couple of games of the season uh, take out the last game of the season but the couple before that particularly when he sort of came back from injury now he was on what ten points at halftime at one point really quiet and all of a sudden kick a goal kick a goal score a try or guess guess the sixty sixty five all of a sudden end of, end of the game. Uh, uh, game's over, updates come in, he's on 96. You look at the scores and go, how the hell did he get there? did nothing. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he, he was a bit concerning this year. And you have to remember too, from round 22, the last six games of the year, he scored tons in four out of the last six. Now, you know, and he was quiet. some will say like that's, that's, that's great. <laughs> but if you look at what he was doing before that, like if he didn't have that run, he would have been close to averaging sub 80. And in 2022, he averaged 80 points a game. He could have been just below that if he didn't have that last six weeks of footy. So there is a bit of a concern. But at the same time, like you said, he still managed 89 points for the year. And with that 2021 outlier season, if we throw it out of the window, because he averaged 108, 89 is his best season that he's had. Yeah, I think regardless of the draw, I'll just grab him, grab him next year. He's just too good of a player. Because <laughs> if you don't start him, you're going to have to get him by, by what round six or seven anyway. And are you going to have a million bucks by then? I, I think it's just it's probably just easiest just to get get him in. Well, I think the thing is that Cleary and Hines are going to be between sort of nine twenty to nine eighty to purchase around about. If had, and if you had to pick one and one only, what would it be? Well, that's what I was going to ask you because I'd, I'd almost side with Hines if the Sharks have got a good draw, um, but it could go the other way too. Like to me, Hines was, uh, has been the best supercoach player for these last two years in a row, and because Cleary is only going to be forty, fifty thousand dollars less, I don't think I'm saving enough money. I'd get Hines, but I think the bigger question is, Billy, could you afford to start with both of them because they're the two best players this season? But it's pretty hard to start with them round one and taking up almost two million bucks at your cap. Yeah, it's probably easier than easier than spending um, on two sort of on, on a premium halfback and then two kind of five eights and then having someone like Katoa in there. So, uh, do you, do you really see like a, a cheap halfback coming in next year? Like it's it's possible, but some positions is better off just to spend the two million bucks there because because think this way, um, everyone loads up on dual fullbacks each year, don't they? And mm-hmm. You're likely going to have what an under an undervalued Tommy Tommy there again. Um, maybe 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 a bit of a cheaper sort of Tedesco. Maybe we get a few. Maybe we get a few more options at fullback next year to make it a little bit easier to get two sort of go halves. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you raise a good point, and I mean at the end of the day, if you take away positions, they're the two best players in the game. Um, Nico number one at ninety five a game, so it does make some sense to to consider that, and they were. Easily the best two halves. Um, it's funny when you look at those numbers, Billy, to finish off on halfback because so many people were talking about Sean Johnson like he was in their league. And he did go on yeah. good runs, Sean Johnson, but 
it's a big difference between 77 and 95 points. And it's also a big difference between 77 and 89 points. You know, there was a big drop off going down to Sean Johnson. Oh, yeah. And SJ crushed it towards the end of the year. The other guys were just cruising. So just cruising and <laughs> scoring, averaging an extra 20 points, big difference. 5-8, I was really disappointed in 5-8. Um, Kalen Ponga was the number one 5-8. And oh, absolutely. I, I loved it. He ended up finishing on costing 973,000, 87.4 points per game. He was only two points per game off Nathan Cleary. Uh, so that's how good Kalen Ponga's season was. I'd love to see what his average was at fullback kicking goals only. Well, I mean, that's the thing. He also had those um, positional swifts, shifts. He also had some injury-affected games as well. Um, but, you know, we, we got to have him at 5'8 this year, Billy. He's the 5'8 of the year for Supercoach. He's only going to be fullback only next year. So that's going to be a big spatter. Uh, Dylan Brown finished second, 76.5 points per game. And can I say Cameron Munster was over five points per game worse than Dylan Brown. So he didn't even make the Supercoach team in the year, Cameron Munster. Cameron Munster, I will put as one of my most, if not the most disappointing player, pretty close to it for Supercoach. He averaged 71.3 points per game. He seemed to really struggle to do that, and he didn't really have many big ones. So I think we could very much have a passing of the torch where it's sort of, um, you know, Ponga and D Brown because Munster was 10 points worse in 2023 compared to his 81 per game last year. Yeah, I still reckon Ponga will be available at sort of 5 next year because he, he played enough there. Um, unless they pull that rule, that rule out where they go, you know, if someone's, if someone's designated to play fullback, regardless of last year, we're going to make it fullback, don't we? But, um, yeah, they'll do that. They won't make it easy for us. No. It does make the game a bit more interesting. Man, man, unfortunately, it means Cody Walker's the only decent 5 8 of price. <laughs> I, I, I'll never I'm again. Never no, again. I, I'd, I'd, be back, I'd be back to the old Dylan Walker there. Ah, sorry, um, Dylan Brown there, mate. <laughs> Center wing is interesting. So Greg Marju, number one, 77.3 yep. points per game. Jermaine Asako, 76.7, really upsets me. Dane Gagai. 72.4. Now, we, we pinpointed him as a as a good pod, but his consistency was the best season that he's ever had and as a fourth centre wing. Valentine Holmes, 72.1. So centre wing, I think uh, Marzu and Holmes, I think everyone sort of expected, even though Marzu hadn't done it before, like a lot of people were getting on him at the start of the year with his opportunity. Um, but Gagai and Asako just came out of nowhere, didn't they? Oh, I think... <laughs> Gago was off the back of that huge, huge um, run. So surely there's an extra ten points average in there for the last sort of half of the year. They've, they've absolutely sort of capitalised there. Oh, uh, I don't know. He he's actually he was a lot more consistent than what you think. Can I just tell you, in Dane Gago's games, he played twenty for the season. He only had three tries, and he still averaged seventy two points Jesus. with three tries. And in the, the between round one to ten, when they weren't running well. He averaged 74. <laughs> so, mate, it's all the numbers, If you, when you look at Dane Gagai, say that was amazing. And you cannot buy what will be a 33-year-old centre next year coming off a career supercoach season. But if you got him this year, you, you would have killed try. him. <laughs> <laughs> I won't put it past you. Ruben Garrick was the guy that missed out, um, 70.8. And also, special mention to DWZ, with Tony Zalesniak, 70.5 points per game, putting him as the sixth best centre wing. Uh, seventh best, sorry, just behind Brian Toto. Um, and that rounded out the, the bench for the centre wings with um, 
Garrick Toto and, and DWZ. But DWZ, Billy, me and you both gave him the kiss of death halfway through the season. People started buying him and we both said, yep. oh, you're nuts. You are crazy. Yep. He's never been good. His best average is like 58 points a game. He doesn't even score doubles. He's terrible. And then he scored his first hat trick ever. He scored his first four try outing ever. He just went absolutely ballistic. So uh, that's one that we both definitely got wrong. But who, <laughs> it was hard to see DWZ coming with 70 points per game this year. Mate, I remember seeing yeah, watching the game. You're like, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. <laughs> game after game after game. Yeah, it wasn't that. Oh, back to back. You see how I watch the games and you think, ah, he won't do it next week. Ah, he won't do it next week. Three in a row. Best four <laughs> out of seven. It is funny reminiscing about some of the guys that didn't make it because there was a few big ones. Like, um, I, I really liked my Campbell Graham call at the start. He was averaging about 75 points a game initially, and then he fell right off and ended up averaging 68.9. Um, but that was because of Souths and his injury. Nick Meany, I started with, he ended up averaging 68 for the year, and that was, you know, one of the good ones I started with. Lockie Miller was going to, you know, two months into the season, Billy, I thought that me and you had Lockie Miller so wrong in the preseason. He was going to be my, one of my regrets. Because yep. every week I was like, damn it, why didn't I just get on Lockie Miller? You know, I, I thought that, you know, that 600K price tag was too much, and he was just killing it. And then he ended up out of first yeah, grade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at least we got that one right. But yeah, coach got rid of him before. We were able to do some uh, permanent damage to ourselves, mate. So, escaped, escaped being shamed there, mate. The first 10 rounds of the season, he averaged 71. And it's sub 600k to start with. He was looking he was looking real good. Um, but, yeah. Mm, well, let's move on to the dreaded fullback spot because it was a bit of a basket case this season. Very difficult. Uh, fullback, if you take Caelan Palmer as a 5'8", because he was a number one fullback as well. We are left with Scotty Drinkwater. Number one, 83.4 points per game. Makes me very happy in my soul because I was so such a big supporter. Turbo actually made the team, Billy. Uh, 81.6 points per game. Obviously, only played half a season. About one league. Uh, I don't think that he looked turbo-like, so it's going to be interesting next year. But Drinkwater and Turbo were the were the top two. And, and Walsh and Gutho were just behind. I think that the surprising thing for me was Walsh was as good as what he was. And also that Latrell Mitchell... Uh, he's way back as number six in the fullback ranks when you're looking at it. And James Tedesco is way back you know, behind all of them. Uh, so, what, eight, if you're looking at fullback only, guys. He only averaged 69 points per game. Uh, but I think the good news with Teddy is that he still came back and averaged 69 because for a long time he was averaging 50-something. And I think that people sort of wrote him off and I thought that's what he was going to be at too. Yeah, I think it's going to be really open in that position next year, mate. The ones that were expected to go well kind of did. I think, I think Teddy's going to be under, undervalued next year. What, what is he? T- is he? Is he in his thirties? Like he's thirty now, so um, he's going to be in his thirties next season. Yeah, I started going downhill at sort of twenty-seven, twenty-eight. His thirties are going to have buckets, mate. Bucket legs. Well, he's 10 points off what he did in 2022. So by all accounts, he was one of the most disappointing uh, fullbacks for sure. Went from a 79 average to a 69. And age isn't on his side. But uh, I think at the same time, his demise was greatly exaggerated. Um, Between rounds 11 and 18, he averaged 75. And between round 19 and 26 on the run home, he's averaged 85. So on the run home, he was actually one of the best fullbacks to own at 85 points per game. So, you know, there's still some some numbers there. Um, Latrell... One of the other things with this, when you go outside of Tedesco in the fullback spot, Billy, for this year, 
there's three guys that are all injury prone as well. You know, Turbo and Latrell could both be better than someone like Tedesco to take a punt on if you can't afford the top guys, but they're they're both very injury prone now too. Um, and then you've got Pappenhausen, who might come into the mix. It's got the big injuries hanging over him. So fullback's just a, a walk and injury at the moment, isn't it? It's um it's very hard to predict for next year. Oh yeah. Um I think Pappy will be sort of a decent price. Um he's did he play one game or two? No, two, didn't he? Because he played off the bench one week. Yeah, he played the two games, um, but which won't be enough to price him. So they'll end up coming up with some sort of price out of nowhere. He averaged 45 for the season, but only two games. That won't be enough for them to use that as an average. Even if he had three, they'd probably add sort of 30% to it. It's not not it's not <laughs> going to be around the 90 mark. But they'll, uh, they'll punch something down, make it, make, it, make it a bit harder. Oh, I think you'll be around a 60 average. So, I mean, Pappenhausen will probably be in a lot of sides. Um, but the big discussion in the preseason that we'll probably have is going to be... How's it mean? Even though 60 is huge value, it's a serious injury. And can he actually come back from that to be what he was before? Well, they're going, they're going over to the US, so we'll, we'll at least get a glimpse of two games where he's playing against top 14. Actually, actually, no, they're not, uh, they're not other. Melbourne aren't going. No, they're not going, but we do have four teams going. So next year is actually going to be a really tough season. And it's a great segue to finish up the podcast because we're going to talk about quickly Supercoach changes or things that could happen next year that might be different. Um, And that's teams playing in the US is going to be real different, Billy, because those four teams, um, Broncos, Roosters, Souths and Manly, very Supercoach relevant. So I don't know how they're going to actually handle that yet, uh, but those teams might be really hard for Supercoach. But... This season, Billy, the buyers made it really different. Um, I'm wondering whether the buyers next year are going to be done any differently. You mean, as in, how many how many teams had the buy on the on, on, on the over rounds, or probably more how Supercoach works it. So the the, the big changes we had was we had the boosts, um, and we also had uh, the biggest thing was the the best thirteen, uh, which I found really hard in the buy rounds because I found that um, teams that weren't buy planning were very close because you couldn't have 14, 15, 16, 17 runners in a round. You could only have the best 13. But I reckon, I reckon, they, I reckon they keep it as is. I, they've made it a lot easier this year, particularly by using the, the, the 13. Um, I think the, the boost gives you more than enough cracking opportunity to sort of punch out a full team of 13. Mate, if you're not going to have a full-strength team in, um, in in round 13 this year or next year, it's not because of lack, lack of opportunity or, or, or strategy. It's it's surely just going to be the lack of quality of players because you've got half the competition playing. And and, and from the half that are actually playing, they're at the, what, the, the best 17 to, the best seventeen of each room are in origin anyway, anyway. So you're not going to find too many kickers in there. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind them just going back to what it was and forgetting the best 13. And just, you know, if, if teams want to have 15 players and or if someone decides to go 17 and screw themselves for the following week, then so be it. You know, it's just sort of, it's a decision that the coaches can make for themselves um, because it was virtually impossible to have 17 because of the, the way the buys were structured afterwards and before it and everything. But, you know, I, I would just leave it open and just, just let teams be able to at least have that 14 or 15 if they want to really make a run at it. Uh, I think it brings more strategy into it because I think the round, the the way the buys worked on the big buy rounds with the best thirteen, to me it made it easier. It just brought the pack closer together and it made the head to head teams closer to the overall teams, and it was just a lot harder to sort of make up as much ground. 
Yeah, it was, mate. Uh, I, I love him. I love, I love the buy strategy. Every year, it's um, it's because it's it's not something you just do around the buy time as well. It's it's not something you just do in the lead up to it. It's something you do over Christmas in January for you know for us sickos who <laughs> really enjoy the game. It's frustrating as it is. Half the fun is trying to figure out what your buy strategy is in sort of January and February, but um, the rest of it is kind of just luck of the draw and just trying to figure out what your actual what your actual trades are going to be and when so you can maximise it leading in. So mm. and then the last fifteen, twenty percent is just the, the bullshit luck factor that you can't change that. Yeah, and we talk a lot a lot about different strategies and the buy rounds and stuff, but what it comes down to, especially when you're thinking about things like buy rounds, is you're just trying to find an yeah. edge. You're just trying to find an edge on the competition. And the way the buy rounds were before, I think you could find more of an edge than what you could with the, the best 13. Um, then another one I'll throw up there is a potential change. What do you, how do you feel about the final round? Because this final round was a bit of a dud where, you know, we had the, the, the poor guy that was first ended up dropping to like 25 and um, there was teams yeah, that only had like 12 players. Um, I think Perso, Perso, who is a regular on the podcast, I think he had eight or nine players left. You know, it was just mass restings and everything else. And obviously this year, one of the changes Supercoach made was they said, hang on, we're going to have head-to-head grand finals in round 26, not the last round. Um, and people are sort of thrown up, well, you know, the last round's pretty bad now for overall too. What do you do with that? Um, did you have any thoughts on that? Round 24. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, I don't I don't think the people people bringing up, oh, maybe it should finish in round 26 for overall as well. I don't think that works either because it, it has to go throughout this, the whole season. I think a happy medium would be to say, you know, Supercoach says in the final round of the season, we're going to give everyone four trades and we'll add it for the final week. So everyone's got an extra four trades the final week that they can't use before that. And you can go four trades in that last round. Um, I, I think that's sort of a, a happy medium because they're going to have to play that last round, but you also don't want, you don't want too much luck to come into it for the overall placings and stuff, especially when you're talking about the top 10. Yeah. But then you open up sort of Pandora's box too. Like if you've got a bloke that's in, in first position and all of a sudden someone's got an extra sort of four trades, like they can wait to the last sort of two or three games and do a seven trade Hail Mary just to get over the line. So that's only one small example, mate. There's a hundred ways to skin a cat, but that's not the only problem either. You're trying to fix it for the masses, not for the, not for the, not for the one percent of the one percent. The yeah, it is a very hard one, and it was a, a pretty brutal final round this year. So maybe there just isn't anything you can do about it. Um, it did it did reiterate to everybody how hard it is to to both save trades, but also how important it is too. Because I think you know some of those teams. I, I saw a grand final team that made the limp to the grand final billing. They scored like eight ninety in their final week in the grand final, and it's just uh, even the even the round twenty six was hard for head to head teams. Uh, price changes early. It comes up every year. Um, I'm going to throw it up there again as a potential change. Um, I know that you like the price changes straight away. Yeah, there's two things I want changed every year. It doesn't happen. Price changes early from round one to stop the uh, uh, everyone sort of catching up. And secondly, I'd still like to be able to move, play, move players around after lockout. Yeah, that's a really good one. And I, I, I don't think that that shouldn't... You know, I don't think that should be that hard to do. Um, and it makes sense that you should be able to move your dual position players around your team. Uh, I'll throw up another one. How about sniper teams? I reckon we should be getting rid of sniper teams. And I think that the easiest way to do it, you can't say to teams you've got to play all year for prizes, but I think that you, you say that you've got to be playing for a month for prizes. So if you want to start a team in round 10, 
you, you're not eligible for a prize until around 14 because at the moment, so many of those $1,000 weekly winners, Billy, uh, are very clearly teams, especially that last round where someone's just come up with a sniper team just to take the $1,000 top team of the week cash. And I think that can be easily fixed. And it's a bit demoralising for the for the other guys that are plugging away and the other girls that are plugging away and they're going well, but they're just not winning the $1,000 cash because someone comes in and puts together a team for one week. Yeah, look, it can be easily fixed, mate, but they're not going to do it. It's it's numbers for them. They can, it's an extra 20,000, 30,000 people a year they can say plays the game. Well, just if you make them, if you make a, a bit of a caveat, of, well, even three weeks, you've got to be in it for three weeks. I mean, I think those people, the snipers will still come in, but you just have to build the team for three weeks, so you're probably less chance of winning. No, not not. Oh, you wouldn't get as many as many numbers, mate. And I'm sure that's what they want. More people on the probably books. not. You're probably right. Um, updates, down dates. Oh, I thought they were pretty all over the place this year, but um, it, was, it was it was better. It was consistent. <laughs> It was consistent. Did you find that they were adding far less attacking points? So I sort of I found that I thought that they were updating far less tries for try assists and um and line break assists and stuff. I thought they were just leaving it a lot of the time. Yeah, I think what they tried to do is, unless it was one hundred percent, don't add it so that yeah, it was more updates as opposed to down dates. I think it's almost like they were trying to avoid the avoid an embarrassing sense. An embarrassing situation where uh, they they miscounted, they went went backwards and screwed everyone's head to head or or VC loot um, loot possibilities. So if there was ever anything, I'm sure it was just not nah, now leave it until we do a full review. Then we update. We're not going to take points off. Yeah, it has to be said. You can't take out your frustration on on Supercoach because they they, they get they've got a stats provider that's a third party that provides the stats. And they do it real time too, mate. It's 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 hard to sit down and go, oh. Whose number was that? What player was that? Is that an offload or do you? It's not easy. I think that the the only thing with me, like it's, is it? I don't mind so much if they get stuff a little bit wrong and whatever, or there's updates and down dates. It's more that um, you, you'd really, if I was going to change something with it that I think is in the scope of being able to be changed, I'd want it to be a consistent process. So I'd want it to be 24 yep. hours after every game that game updates. You know, it's just something so you know. Because it obviously plays a big role in whether people loop, um, and that's for overall, but also for head to head. And when you you know go through maybe three weeks of okay, well we know that the Thursday Friday is going to be updated on a Saturday, and then all of a sudden, after three weeks, for two weeks doesn't get updated on a Saturday. It's just all over the place. Yeah. You'd like to think that there could be some sort of process where you knew exactly where um, when the updates were actually going to happen during the week, and it was a bit set. Yeah, just so you could sort of tally up your points and know exactly where you're at at, at at any given point in time on the weekend. It would certainly help. But um, yeah, I can't see it happening, mate. They've got to do their reviews and more reviews and get signed off before they can put it up. So even if they just turn around and say, look, hey, Thursday night's game is going to be done by Saturday afternoon and the rest on by Sunday midday, get some kind of indication on which half a day it'll be done by would be great. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. You just want to know. You just want to know basically when, whenever that is. Um, and it does get done with other fantasy sports. I think AFL does it a lot quicker um, with their Supercoach stuff as well. So, but was there anything else that you'd like to see change in Supercoach, or you're pretty set and, and happy to run into next year like this? I'm happy. Roll, roll as it is, mate. Oh yeah, I, I enjoy the game. I'd probably like to see less trades, if if anything, but not going to happen. Yeah, especially after this year, it was absolute carnage. I'd, 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 I'd like to have 84 trades a year, maybe just 
pump it up like an extra forty or something. Not going to happen. All right, Billy. Well, it was a uh, it was a long season. It was a tough season. I think a lot of season coaches found it pretty arduous. We had a lot of changes this year, uh, but I appreciate you jumping on and chatting about the super coach season. It has been a fun long season, but now it's it's off season time, buddy. I'm not going to put you on the sand hills or anything for a few months. You can go out to Bali. You can go and uh, start drinking. Go over to Vegas. Do some fun stuff. I think I need sand hills, mate. Lose a bit of weight. <laughs> need to get the kids to run me, run me ragged. <laughs> I'll get you on the sand hills when we hit November. Don't worry about that, mate. But uh, looking forward to get you back on when the Supercoach preseason starts. Uh, and for everyone listening, we will be uh, running again next year for sure. So don't worry about that. All your Supercoach content will be covered. We will uh, have the team picker hitting in December sometime for Supercoach like it normally does. And the podcast will roll into the new year. So early January, we should be starting with the team previews and getting through all those. And we'll be back on with the Supercoach podcast. So look out for those. And certainly uh, the Talking Footy podcast, I'll keep continuing uh, through the finals, although we might miss this week just because my voice is already gone. <laughs> I'm sorry that uh, I've just not been able to shake this flu. But keep tuning in to the Talking Footy podcast because I'll keep doing those for the next month or so. Uh, and certainly, thank you very much for listening all season of the Supercoach episodes. Really appreciate it. You can download us everywhere, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes. You can also subscribe so you know when we've got some new episodes coming. And hit up Picklebet. Use All Stars as your promo code or your affiliate code when you sign up. They'll take great care of you as one of the listeners. But other than that, enjoy the final series this week. If you're talking footy, well, we can talk footy next week as well. Otherwise, enjoy the games because it should be absolute crackers and I can't wait to talk bit more about them real soon and super coach after we get the team picker up in December. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on.